For what do I have if I don't have you, Jesus? What in this life could mean anymore? You are my rock. You are my glory. Hi, and welcome to The Rock Podcast. Here now in chapter 2 of the book of Colossians, it's time for Paul to address the threat posed by false teaching that was gaining popularity. Just like in our day, the evil one was busy trying to hinder God's people by luring them away from truth and into theological error. Now let's join Pastor Ross with a message entitled, The Safeguard Against Deception. Are you ready to pick up where we left off in Colossians chapter 2, verse by verse, chapter by chapter, through the Bible? That's what we do. We are a Bible-teaching church. We do not come to the pulpit with an idea of mine that I'd like to support with the Scriptures, but we go to the Scriptures and find out what the Scriptures are trying to tell us. Amen? Amen. I threw that in for free. All right. (laughs) Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, it is your word that makes all the difference. Lord, your word gives us life. You sent your word to save us, to keep us on the straight and narrow path, to reveal who you are and your great character, your love, and who we are and how we need you. And Lord, your perfect word gives life and light. It is a lamp unto our feet, a light to our path now. Open our eyes that we might see in our ears and understanding of our heart so that we can put these truths into practice. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, this might not be uh, really big news to you, but every church has its problems and challenges. And it's always been that way from the beginning days there in the first century with the very first churches. And we know that to be true from reading all about it in the New Testament. And so, you know, Philippi, each church had its own little struggle. I mean, there were some things that affected them all. Uh, But Philippi had two ladies who uh, had a falling out that caused great disunity, and that was their big problem. Um, And Corinth... Well, you know, Corinth had so many issues, it's hard to just really pick one. Uh, But I did land on one, the overzealous misappropriation of spiritual gifts. They were using spiritual gifts in in a um, not helpful manner, and uh, among many other things. Uh, The Hebrew Christian churches in the region, they wanted to give up because they were persecuted. They wanted to go back to Judaism where they had it a little bit easier. So each of the churches had their struggles, but the church at uh, Colossae there in uh, uh, mid mid, uh, Turkey, modern day, um, the Colossians, where the Colossians are from, they were pretty healthy for the most part and they didn't really have a problem yet but they were surrounded by false teachers, and we're going to hear about that. And so there is one issue that is kind of common throughout uh, the... In fact, it started with the Old Testament when God's people were called the Congregation of Israel. They had false teachers, false prophets, uh, theological errors that were always stumbling them, and it continued on to the New Testament. And so false teaching is nothing new, and the the Colossians really... um, 
They were surrounded, and uh, false teaching is one of the devil's favorite tools to shipwreck an individual's uh, faith or, or to get a church off track or to become ineffective or weak. And it makes perfect sense why. Jesus said it's the truth that will set your heart free. So if there's a compromise of that truth, um, to the degree it's compromised, that is to the degree your heart will not be set free. In fact, Paul tells Timothy under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, persevere, he said, in sound doctrine because by doing so, you will save both yourself and your hearers. So salvation, having your heart set free, knowing God, being productive for him, depends on the grasping, the understanding, and the implementation of the truth as God has revealed it. Any alteration of that will affect the byproduct of freedom and liberty and effectiveness in the Lord. And so we're going to take a look at that uh, uh, this morning because that's the Colossians' problem. They haven't buckled. They haven't compromised. Uh, but Epaphras has told, has made the trip from Turkey to Rome where Paul, his pastor, uh, was incarcerated to let him know, man, we're surrounded and by smooth talk and deceitful false teachers. And so Paul is all fired up and he's gonna, he fires out this letter uh, to help them uh, in their fight to stay sound in their doctrine. And so even though 2,000 years have gone by, this letter is so relevant because uh, the church still today, there's everything you can imagine out there, and not only just separate false religions that are just uh, amazingly um, unique in what they're teaching, but then there's what is called the pseudo-Christian cult, that there's a mix of, there's, there's a Bible base. They use Christian words, but they mean something different, and so we're going to take a look at this uh, starting out. We're just going to pick up where we left off. We finished chapter one. Here we go with chapter two. We'll walk through and as we now gear up for the meat of the letter is to guard your heart from being deceived by false teaching. Verses one through five, I want you to know how much I'm struggling for you all down there and those at Laodicea and for all who have not met me personally, my purpose, Paul speaking, is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I tell you this so that no one may deceive you by fine-sounding arguments. And for though I am absent from you physically speaking, I am present with you in spirit and delight to see how orderly you are and how firm your faith is in Christ. And so uh, 
what we find here in the beginning here, and we're going to make it as far as verse 15, most of the chapter, is that the way to safeguard our lives and and churches from the subtle uh, deceptions, um, the attack that comes to all churches and all Christians about false teaching. That's the theme of the chapter. And he he begins this um, frontal assault against the false teachers with an expression of love. So if you're taking notes, verses one through five, can come under the heading of an expression of love. Here's an effort to bond with folks that have never met the Apostle Paul. Now, you already know from previous teachings that um, Paul is locked up. But Paul, when he was in Ephesus, discipled a young man named Epaphras. And so Epaphras is the Colossians pastor, and he also started a work in Laodicea, which is 15 miles from Colossae. So he is the area regional pastor, this young man of Pamphras. And, and these false teachers are surrounding them, right? And so he's a disciple of Paul, and he, and he goes to visit Paul to minister to Paul all the way 800 miles to Rome, and he tells him the situation. We're surrounded. Here's what these guys are saying. And they're such smooth talkers, man. They're intellectual, and they're the enlightened ones, and they're coming up, and they're twisting your words and the scriptures. And and so this letter um, is going to take on the direction to deal with those guys. And so... He, re- he reaches out, first of all, and, and he may, it's interesting what he's doing here. Before he exhorts them how to stand up to these uh, false teachers by exposing their error and then the remedy of the truth. But before he does that, he says, yeah, let's you and I do a little bonding, right? Because it's been said, and it's so true. People don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. It's so true. Uh, Who is this guy? Why should we be paying attention to him? He's going to come in and say, watch out for this. They're going to tell you this. That's a lie. That's a lie. That's a lie. Here's the truth. Here's the truth. Who are you? Do do you even care about us? Do you know about us? Right? So, uh, genius of the Holy Spirit, Paul, share your heart. Bond with them. Let them know you love them. You know about them. Epaphras has told them names and, and conversion stories and testimonies. He feels like he's there with them. So he is not the, the, the father of them. He's grandpa. He's the grandpa because his son in the faith, Epaphras, has now children in the faith. And now I'll tell you what, it's one thing to be a papa bear. It's another thing to be a grandpa bear. Being a grandpa bear, they're just another layer of this ginormous love. And you can't know it until it happens to you. And all the grandpas said, I heard some grandmas in there. Well, that, that, that's okay. You're invited as well because you are. You get it, right? So now, you know, let, let me just throw this in here about this. He's saying, uh, I want you to know, you have never met me, but I'm, I'm toiling for you. Like you were my mom, my, my dad, my brother, my sister. I, I am that involved, the word there to struggle in prayer for them uh, is where we get the word to agonize. It's the garden of Gethsemane, kind of seasonal times where you just go before God and you're like, Ugh! and Paul calls it travailing. That kind of, yeah, until the birth 
happens. He describes it as just this, this labor in the, in the idea of having new life, right? And I, I mean, that's intriguing to me. It's not often we do that because we don't live very deep Christian lives, to be honest with you, either do I. I don't, I don't travail in prayer. There have been moments and situations. But these are people he didn't even know. I have trouble travailing for loved ones that I know are in trouble. I mean, oh, we just, uh, there. <laughs> we were sharing the gospel with somebody on a street corner once, and, and one guy was just flippantly talking. My partner was talking to him about hell and, and the, the terrors that are described in the Bible about it. And the guy said, if it's true, at least you could sound more, you know, uh, emotional about it. If it's true, the guy was just so, if it's true that I'm going to go to this place, could you show me a little bit like, you know, can you say it? Can you say it like you care that if I end up there, you'd be like sad about it? He didn't say it like that, but that's what he was trying to say, is how can you relay such, a, such an unbelievable truth to me without any, ooh, like, man, do not go there. Right? That, that's different than, you know, there's a hell and eternity is a long time, okay? You know, it's just a little bit different. I don't know. I'm trying to wake you up this morning. It's working in this section here. <laughs> okay, all right. Okay, so listen, before I move on, uh, you know, and I do write down in my notes, please move on. I tell myself, please just move on. And, and I see it, and I'm sorry. I just, I put it on override, <laughs> you know. Let, just let me tell you. Uh, one last thing about how I'm struggling. I love you. Listen to me. I care. I know you. What a disconnect if you feel the guy, no matter how gifted he is, doesn't care about you personally, just wants to do his thing. That's a disaster. For me, I've been in churches like that where I didn't even feel valued by the guy and I was on staff, right? And he, and he told me, this is a billion years ago, like I had long hair, all right? So <laughs> I'm not a people person, he said. I'm a teaching pastor. That is self-deception right there. You know, that you go to conference, I go to a conference and I'm touched and moved and I go beeline to the guy to just say, oh, oh, wow. And where is he? He went backstage with the worship team. Why? Because that's what they do at conferences because they're like celebrities. You can't bond with the, real, uh, with the people. You come out and do your thing to them. You know, and then you go in the backstage like you're some kind of celebrity with the, with the band. You know, we're in the back. We just come out and do our gifts, and then we leave, you know. Paul says, Paul's not like that. I'm wrestling, man. I'm uh, for you. And I, I, I'm like there. I'm so delighted you guys are doing a good job. Yeah, you, you don't see me, but it's like I'm worshiping on the front row with you. You know, I may be out of sight, but I'm not, you're not out of my mind. And so they're endeared by this. This guy loves us. He's, who, who do I know that's laying on the ground face down, sucking carpet, as we called it in Bible college, for me? Who does that for me? Very few people do that for me or for you. 
And anyone who does do it is, well, yeah, you, you care what they think. And that's what's happening right here. Let's move on. He says, my purpose is that they, no, thank you. My, my purpose is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love so that they may have this full understanding of who Christ, this bit mystery. So the Gnostics are saying, they're coming in and they're saying, oh, we've got this new mystery religion and mystery about Christ and mystery about your Christian life. And Paul says, you want to know mystery? It's, it was hidden up until Jesus because God poured himself into a body to reveal who God was. He is the uh, invisible image of the visible God. He is the image. He is the exact substance of God in human form. And so he says, listen, uh, really what he's saying here is that, and very intriguing, everything is found in Jesus. And, and that if you're not, listen, if you're not strengthened and you're not a united church in love, then it's gonna creep in. So he's say, really saying, and he's gonna really elaborate it as soon as we get off this slide. He's, he's going to say, listen, where there's a united front in love, you'll have an impenetrable wall. So if this is gonna work, the best offense is a strong defense, right? This is what he's saying here, that you may be united in love, <clears throat> shoulder to shoulder, excuse me, uh, so that uh, you can understand and have this Christian life. And he's saying everything you need to know is in Jesus, all the wisdom, all the knowledge. So they were saying, listen, that's nice that you have the basic understanding of Jesus, but there's so much more. There's so much more. And he's saying, what, <laughs> what could be more than being joined to God, Jesus Christ coming into you, who is God the Son? Where, where is there more? Who's going to tell you more but the, but the God who lives now within by the Holy Spirit? He's got all the wisdom, all the knowledge for everything, how the universe got here, where, uh, where this whole thing is going, how it ends up, who you are, where you're going, what happens when you die, how to be right with him. What else is there to know that Christ wouldn't have and is accessible to you since he's inside you by the Holy Spirit. So he's just saying, you've got everything you need right there. The popular hip postmodern thinkers of the first century, they were the enlightened ones and they were the ones boasting of this special revelation that uh, was beyond the normal people of God who just had the simple uh, gospel. So to be forewarned is to be fore, forearmed. So he says, I'm, I'm telling you this so that you won't be deceived by very appealing arguments. Fine sounding arguments means per, uh, persuasive rhetoric. Now, that, uh, the fine sounding argument in verse four really touched me this time. The, the simple gospel is, good, is practical and simple and straightforward that a child gets it. In fact, the children are, are getting it in a room near to us right now. It's simple. It's very clear. And God made it that way because he wants everybody to be saved and to know him. He, he, he could have complicated it, but he didn't. Now, to me, 
this fine sounding arguments, you have to be argued. You have to be persuaded to leave the simple truth of the gospel. The, the, the gospel's not hard to understand. When you receive it, you, if you're gonna leave it, you need to, they need to present a fine sounding argument to you. You have to be persuaded by additional books the Doctrines and Covenants or the Pearl of Great Price or the Book of Mormon or the New World Translation or there's always, I, we've got to argue why that verse doesn't mean what it appears to mean and this is the progressive gospel. They have to come in with fine-sounding arguments to take you away from the simple gospel that God became one of us he was crucified for our sins, dead and buried, rose from the dead, ascended, sent his Holy Spirit so that we could be born again and have our sins washed away and that we could walk with him in love and seek and save the lost and wait for his appearing where he will come to judge the living and the dead. That's the gospel. But false teachers today have to come in with fine-sounding arguments. That means persuasive. Like anybody would go, hmm, I've listened to these guys. And, and, and I'm like, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. No, 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 no. It's fine-sounding, though. And so we're going to talk a little bit more about that. And so, so far, so good, he's saying. You know, like I said, I, I'm not there physically, but he's not, uh, he's not astro-traveling in his soul when he says, I delight to see how orderly, that word orderly, he's saying from the detailed description I'm getting from your pastor, it's like I'm there and I'm so delighted to hear or see and envision what's happening there. And the word for well-ordered there is military ranks standing shoulder to shoulder with the shield in front of them. That's where that word comes from, orderly. Like you're not getting in here, false teachers. No, 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 every wind of doctrine can be out in that church somewhere else. That's their responsibility. But as for us, me and my household, you're not getting in here. No way. Let's continue on. So here's a quick exhortation. So then, just as you received Christ Jesus, just like when you got saved and taught and discipled by Epaphras, just when you got saved and received Jesus, got born again, the whole deal, continue to live in Christ rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught by your pastor, who all these false teachers are saying, where did he go to seminary? How old is Epaphras? How long has he been a Christian? Isn't he a little bit young? No, he's saying, listen to him. You got saved, you got filled with the Holy Spirit. You were discipled, you were taught. You got the basics, stick with that. He says, strengthened, rooted, built up, and overflowing with thanksgiving. Let's talk about some of these things. So here, again, the best offense is a good defense. That's how he starts on a positive note. You, if you don't want to get swept up into the really cool, hip, enlightened version of this new, dumbed-down Christianity, if you want to not fall prey then you better get busy doing the four things this verse 
describes as a part of walking with him, to live in him, continue to live in him. The word is, is literally to walk with Christ. And to walk with Christ is the spiritual discipline described here in four ways. He says, number one, you need to be rooted in him. Now, this is easy part for you and me because it, it, it's the passive tense that Christ has rooted us. He is the foundation. The salvation that you have received has been gifted to you and you've been rooted in him. Uh, and everything is to build and to grow and to nurture what Christ started in you the moment you said yes. You opened the crack of that door of your heart and in he came and rooted you into eternal life, into union with him. And uh, that, that foundation, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, Paul the Apostle talks about that. He says, nobody can lay a foundation except that which has been already laid in your life. That foundation is Jesus Christ himself, the mystery of God, Christ, the foundation in your life. And he says, built up in him. Uh, it's a construction term. And just like in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, from the foundation, he says, once the foundation has been laid, the clock begins ticking and you begin building. And from that point on, you will be evaluated at what is called the Bema Seat Judgment. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 8, we will all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Not one word about the second before you became a Christian, that's dead and gone. But the second you became a Christian, you are supposed to be cooperating with God and building. He laid the foundation. He says, okay, now I'm going to provide the power and I want you to cooperate. And the Bible uses this metaphor of build with costly materials, valuable materials. That means genuineness and sincerity and godly character and diligence and hard work and goodness, and faithfulness, and kindness. Build, build, build. That's what he's saying. Rooted, rooted, and strengthened in the faith. Now, strengthened in the faith, the faith here means the body of doctrines of what it means to know God, the revelation of the Bible, the gospel, Christianity in a nutshell. You'll be strengthened in that regard of knowing the word of God. Here's what he's saying. He's saying, through the Christian disciplines of going to church, sitting under the word of God, serving in a church, corporate worship, hanging out with other Christians, reading your Bible, being prayerful, praying, obeying, trusting, growing, submitting, daily repenting. Yeah, we repented the first time. That's how we got saved. But every single day, you have to, God calls me every single day, that was a bad attitude. That, that was unbecoming, that, that remark you made of, of a Christian, let alone a pastor. He nails me constantly. Am I the only one he's doing this to? Yes. <laughs> yes. Whoever said yes, you are going to pay for that. <clears throat> and not by me, <laughs> fortunately. No, just kidding. He's on us. What did Jesus say? If you want to be my learner, disciple, 
You want to be my disciplined learner follower. You'll, you'll need to do some work. Get used to telling yourself no. Living a life where you want to do this and then you realize that's not in good compliance with God's will for my life. Picking up your cross. The cross is an instrument of death. Dying to those things that once bound us and by the tyrannical force of our own sinful nature and following Christ, it's a lot of work to build, be rooted. And he says, in this way, through your personal devotional life, through church, through reading the Bible, through praying, for everything you do as your Christian life, you will be strengthened in the faith. There, strengthened in the faith is passive. You become strengthened who God is at work as you cooperate, not to be saved, but because you are saved. You work in response to all of this uh, goodness. Let me show you a quick scripture here. For this very reason, Peter's telling the churches that he's writing to, make every effort to add to your faith the foundation. You're not trying to save yourself by this. You're already saved. You can't add a, a one thing to that. But you're, now you're supposed to grow and cooperate. You're not supposed to just be maintaining your Christian life. That's a loser movement. You're supposed to be increasing. Make every effort to add to your faith goodness. And to goodness, add knowledge. Knowledge of God, knowledge of the scriptures, to knowledge, self-control. That you're more self-controlled now, this year, than you were last year. You don't fall for the same stuff. You don't lose your temper so easily in your tight relationships. You're a better wife. You're a better mom. You're a better husband. You're a better listener than you were last year. The, the Christian does not grow by just keep having birthdays, right? Just because you're, you're, oh, now you're nine years old in the Lord, it doesn't mean anything that time has passed. It's the quality of your effort during that time that will determine whether or not you're growing. <laughs> Add to perseverance. <laughs> you should be able to endure better than when you first got saved. Godliness. Somebody should be able to say, wow, when you first got saved, wow, you've come a long way. For if you possess these, and he goes on, for if you possess these qualities in increasing measure... This is the Bible. They will keep you from being ineffective, unproductive in your, no, in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. The person who isn't ever growing and just maintaining, you're not going to hear a well done. How, how can you hear a well done when this is what we're supposed to, this is, what, this is a well done, good and faithful servant. Always growing. Always growing. It'll keep you from being unproductive and ineffective because if you're not doing that, you're ineffective and unproductive. So how can God say, well done, wow, wow, great, well done, ineffective and unproductive servant? That's what you will be if you're not doing that. But whoever does not have them is nearsighted and blind, forgetting that they've been cleansed from their past sins. You see, there's no thankfulness, no gratitude, no motivation. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, make every effort to confirm your calling and election. So, you know, God saved you. Is it true? Well, let's see it. Cooperate with them. 
For if you do these things, you'll never stumble. How many in here? That sounds attractive to you. A promise that says never stumbling in your Christian faith. Wow. And you'll receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. This is unbelievable implications that there, there are less than rich welcomes into the kingdom. As I've mentioned many times, they'll be like little piper cubs coming into heaven, you know. You know, and the angels got the fire extinguishers out, you know, and they, they, pull, they pull the dude out, you know. You know, they still smell beer on his breath because he just, you know, I just don't drink a lot. I know as a Christian, I just drink a little bit, but he's smelling and the runway, you know. Anyway. You know what I'm saying, right? Don't email me about this. <laughs> there are those kinds of Christians. And if you don't believe me, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, 10 through 15 says, he shall be saved, but as though through the fire. Those, those kind. Trust me. There's no well done, good and faithful servant just getting through barely singed with your tail feathers on fire. He's not going to applaud that. So do, do you want to be honored? It's better than not being honored. Amen? Last thing here before we move on. Overflowing with thankfulness. That was an eye-opener for me. What does that have to do with anything? Oh, a lot. Listen to one writer. The passage implies those who lack a deep sense of thankfulness to God are especially vulnerable to doubt and spiritual deception. Oh, that is true. Think about those who have left the gospel. Think about it. They were not emotionally healthy. They did not take care of themselves. They were not filled with gratitude. I'm telling you what. You'd, uh, somebody who, who's got the gospel and has got Christ in their life, and they're so like, wow, I'm going to heaven. I got all my sins forgiven. God, God Almighty, who made heaven and earth, is talking to me and calling me his son and answering my prayers, and I'm going to live and reign and rule with him in, in heaven forever. He's coming. He went to prepare a place for me and in a moment's time, in a twinkling of an eye. I'm going to be caught up if I'm alive at the time. All of these things make somebody so filled with gratitude that there's nothing anybody could come and say to pull you away. You know God wants you to be healthy and wealthy all the time. If you prayed the right prayers, you'd be rich because God's will is that everyone, king's kids, man, they're rich. And, and if you have enough faith, you'll never be sick. Dude, I am so happy right now. You can't get through to me with your lies because I'm so thankful. I'm, I, I'm so, uh, look at overflowing the banks. There's no room in because it just keeps coming out. So they keep trying to, hey, have you thought about this? Maybe there's no hell. Maybe there's a way to, to be more popular by a gospel that says, you know, Jesus is more inclusive. First of all, <laughs> <laughs> there's nothing more inclusive than whosoever. 
That's a very inclusive word. Whosoever? Murderers, adulterers, fornicators, bank robbers, kidnappers, child molesters, Muslims, terrorists, whosoever. That's a big umbrella. Come on in. I love you. Be saved. Stop with this more inclusive. More inclusive. Could you guys just get a little excited? Not, not right now, but I mean when somebody says, I'm just more for a more inclusive religion. I want you to feel your heartbeat start to increase, and I want you to say, what could be more inclusive than whosoever? Amen? Amen. Thank you. I've totally lost where I was in the train of thought, but that's probably a good thing. Thankfulness. There's no devil in hell who's going to come to me with some argument to take me away from the beauty of what I've experienced for 40 years. I, I don't care how fine sounding you make it. Because I'm pretty, I'm one thankful camper. I just need you to know that. <laughs> Amen? Yeah. We've got a big chunk here, but it's not as intimidating as it looks. <laughs> and it's the last part. I'll just kind of sum it up to you, and I know. Here, so the third point here is, here's where the warning begins. Uh, don't, don't let them kidnap you, is what it says. <clears throat> All right, see to it now that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the basic principles of this world rather than on Jesus Christ. For in Christ, all the fullness of godness, divinity, deity, lives in bodily form. In Christ... There's the fullness of God. He is fully God in a human body. And you've been given fullness in him who is the head over every power and authority. In him, you were also circumcised. Now we're gonna talk about a false teaching that, may, that, that came to them and said, you all gotta become Jews if you really wanna do this right. So he's saying, in him, in Christ, you're already circumcised in the putting off of your sinful nature, not with the circumcision done by the hands of men, but with the circumcision done by Christ, having, this is the spiritual fulfillment, having been buried with him in baptism, raised with him through your faith in the power of God who raised him from the dead. When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your heart, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave all of our sins, having canceled the written code with its regulations that was against us. Instead, opposed to us, he took it away, nailing it to the cross. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them triumphing over them by the cross. Well, that's a mouthful. Now, he's going to say, he's going to end the chapter with seven, eight verses that we're not going to cover this week, but the eight verses divide so nicely and very intriguing. Best part of Colossians is coming up next week. Three false teachings. He says, here's what they're saying. Here's the truth. Here's what they're saying. Here's the truth. 
Here's what they're teaching. It's a lie. Here's the truth. Oh, that's next week. This week, we just close with handling this deception here as he's talking out. Here's what he's saying. He's saying, you know, false religions and false ways of thinking about God, nine out of 10 of them want you to do something in addition to just believing. There's always something more. But Ephesians chapter two and verse eight says uh, that faith saves us. It's the gift of God by faith, trusting in him alone. Uh, Titus chapter three and verse five says that in, in God is the one who saved us, not because of anything good that we had done, but because simply his mercy. So over and over again, we see that that's the truth, but people are open to, uh, to needing to knock on a certain number of doors or don't eat meat on Fridays or whatever it is that you have to do. You can't do this. You've got to do that. You've got to stop doing this. No, 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 no. You believe in Christ, then you are saved. And in this case, the, there were these messianic Jews. It's very popular today, even. There's a movement that says, you, you Gentile Christians, you're so cute. But you know what? You really need to get with the Jewish roots, okay? And it's, in fact, it's called Hebrew roots theology. And, and so what they're saying is, contemporary-wise, is why aren't we keeping the Sabbath? It's a commandment, isn't it? Right? So, so they have fine-sounding arguments for uh, eating kosher. What do you think God gave the kosher laws for? There must have been a reason it's probably healthier. And so you've got all these do's and don'ts with dietary rules, and this is still happening 2,000 years later. Uh, of course, they're, they're, I don't know that they tell the men to be circumcised. I don't think that would be very popular. Uh, so they probably leave that part out. But back in the day, they came in and said, unless you are circumcised, you cannot be saved. So Paul's just saying, okay, let's talk about this. So, uh, you know, I've talked about this before. Let me just sum it up. God, God tells the first Jew, the father of the Jews, the progenitor, Abraham. He says, I'm going to make through, you, I'm, through your offspring, I'll make a great nation. And through that nation, I'm going to bless the world because I'm going to come through that nation. Okay? In essence. So he, uh, the problem is that neither Abraham nor his wife at that time could have children. She was barren all her life. He was 99. Not going to happen, right? So uh, they couldn't have children. God would have to supernaturally bring life from the dead. Hear the gospel starting? So circumcision is a shadow. The substance is the day of Pentecost when we become born again. So all circumcision was given for a sign that if you're going to belong to God, and everybody who was not circumcised did not belong to God. And he made that clear. He said, I want you to do this sign to speak to the truth that you must be born again. If you're just born the natural way, you born once, you will die twice. Once physically and, and then the second death separated from God. And that's what we call perishing. But if you're born twice, if God intervenes in a birth and you're born, listen, not in the natural way, i.e. the sign placed accordingly, if God intervened in that department, 
then you will live forever because the life comes from God. Flesh gives birth to flesh. Human beings can make human beings, but spirit, God's spirit, makes a born again person who can live forever. And that's all the sign meant. Now on the day of Pentecost, after Jesus Christ appeared, paid for sins, dead, buried, resurrected, ascended, sends the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost, bam, circumcision of the heart happened, a cutting away of the deadness of our sin nature and the seed of God's life born from above happened. And then out of the mouth came a new life, new testimony, praises to God with a mouth that once cursed and blasphemed and now it's spilling out with the life of God. He says, brothers, please, you don't just tell them Jesus said it's finished and none of this nonsense. That's the point of Christ has already taken away. So that he will say, for in Christ, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. Galatians, the only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through Love And so in verse, what is it, uh, 13 there, God made us alive, born again. You see it there. Uh, sins have been nailed to the cross, verse 14. Verse 15, very interesting. Satan and his crew are, are referred to as the powers and authority in there, in verse 15. And by dying for our sins, God disarmed them, the devil and his crew. How did he do that? Well, the devil and his crew had our sin natures. We were under uh, his sway. The whole world lies under the power of the evil one, First John, right? But what does Colossians chapter one say? It says, for he rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the son he loved. So he disarmed them by paying for the sins that he... They, the, sin, the wages of sin is death. So we'd have to die. We're under evil's power because we, like the devil, sinned and estranged ourselves from God. But if our sins are paid for, right? He, they, they have no more ammunition. There's no more reason for us to go to hell because somebody died in our place and we're, we don't have sins to be counted against us. So he disarmed the devil in that way by nailing the accusations, he's a liar, he's a blasphemer, he's committed adultery. No, he hasn't, because in Christ, those sins were removed from him and put on the cross, they're gone. So he's disarmed them, he has not, the devil has nothing to say about why you shouldn't be in heaven. He cannot say one thing. He cannot say, well, even, you know, he's almost perfect. Oh, no, 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 no. You have the perfection of Christ imputed to you. He's disarmed completely. He cannot raise his finger to you in any form of an accusation at all. He's disarmed. But what I really like about that is, is that he created, a, he made them a, a public spectacle. What does that mean? Here, here they are on Good Friday. Uh, kind of fanning the flames of the crowd, crucify him, crucify him. Who do you think's behind all that rage? And the boomerang goes out. 
And all of a sudden, they're like, hey, boss, that looks like it's coming our way. <laughs> because after Jesus died, he descends to paradise, and he preaches victory. It is finished. I have paid for the sins of everybody down in Abraham's bosom. Abraham's bosom was a place of paradise that the, the dead believers in the Old Testament were waiting for sins to be forgiven, and he descended. And when he ascended, he took them with him into heaven so that they could be in the presence of God. And so they're a laughing stock, spiritually speaking, that, aha, <laughs> it backfired on you all. And now they're in the presence of God and, and, you're, and they're disarmed and essentially you lose. Now, he does say, don't be carried off. Look at verse eight. See to it, be on your guard. Look out for yourself, man. Let no one. So here's the who, what, and how. Just one verse. Let's finish with verse eight. The who. Let no one. The word means to carry you off, to handcuff you, pick you up, come in here, pick you up because of where your mind's been going and what your books you've been reading and your less than thankful heart and your spiritual immaturity, and you say, and they say, hey, here's some fine-sounding arguments. God has got to love. Can you imagine God sending anybody to a place like that? Isn't his forgiveness for everyone? And you put out your hands. You say, wrap me up. And he cuffs you, and he scoops you up in his claws, and out you go. He says, see to it, that no one, your mom, your dad, your cute boyfriend, your wonderful wife, your husband, some, your beloved pastor comes in some Sunday morning. You know, folks, I've got to tell you, I've had sort of a revelation. This happens every single Sunday. Somebody's saying that this Sunday. I've had a little Revelation that God is just a little bit wider than our understanding. A little bit wider means, oh, we're going to change the boundary lines of what he meant by human sexuality. What did Jesus really mean when he said, I'm the only way to get to heaven? What about the millions and millions and millions of, of, of decent human beings who are just trying to get ahead there, but they're in Hinduism or Buddhism, what about them? And they'll present a very fine-sounding argument. He says, I don't care who it is. Let no one take you captive. Why? And here's the, the what. Hollow. It's a fine-sounding, it's a perfectly gift-wrapped box of nothing. When you open it up, there's nothing in it. It's the packaging. It's all packaging, fine-sounding, eloquent, appealing, attractive. My word, folks, listen. You think the garden, <laughs> the tree that Eve ate from, you want to know how beautiful that fruit was? It, it, false teaching never comes to you as a sign that says, this is false and error and will hurt you. And it's inspired from the pit of hell. You're not going to get that message. Instead, you're going to get a very attractive, very eloquent, very hip, very popular, very rich 
person who's going to make it sound perfectly reasonable because it says it depends on human tradition, the way humans think, and basic principles of the world rather than Christ. What did Isaiah 55 warn us? He says, my ways are not your ways. Your ways are not my ways. As far as heaven is from the earth, as high as it is, that's high. You look up definition of high. You will find as high as heaven is from earth. He says, that's how different my thoughts, my philosophies, my ways are from yours. And so what false teaching does is appeal to your fallen human nature. And it makes good sounding sense until you find out at the end that there is a way that seems right to a man. And in the end, it leads to death. Proverbs 14, verse 21. He says, don't let it anybody carry you away. And I'll tell you what, anybody who has been carried away, let them. They went willingly. Check this out. I close with this. Second Timothy. My charge from God. In the presence of God in Christ Jesus, you preachers, you who, uh, who will judge the living and the dead, Christ, and in view of his appearing... And his kingdom, I give you this charge, preachers. Preach the word, not your opinion, not some... Uh, uh. <laughs> I just went to a conference where the guy says, I'm, I'm doing a, a study on, on this book somebody wrote, and that's what we're doing a series on the Christian book. Preach the word. And, that, and, and because pastors have done stuff like this, that is why people are weak in their faith. That is why people are anemic. It doesn't give them an excuse, but it's one of the reasons. Preach the word. Be prepared in season, out of season. Correct, which I've been doing this whole sermon. Rebuke. I'm trying. Encourage. I'm trying. With great patience, I'm failing. (laughs) And careful instruction. (laughs) At least I know it. Uh, Verse three. Here it is, folks. You read with me. Verse three. For the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. Do you want to be like that? Listen, we've lost friends. We've lost family members. Why? Because they're not paying attention. They're not being built up. They're not taking the precautions that the Word of God says. He says, watch out, or you're going to be swept up and become one of them. Don't be duped. Let's pray together. Now, Heavenly Father, we have a lot to think about, (laughs) and we pray that the gist of this admonition would grab a hold of us who live in a world that has left its moorings of biblical truth and has introduced to us all kinds of heresies that are fine-sounding on the surface and very dangerous. Help us, Lord, to take a stand to put these truths into practice. In Jesus' name, amen. One thing that comforts me personally is the second coming. Then anybody who ever knew me and thought maybe I was a little overboard too much with the excitement and the passionate uh, warnings, and everybody will know. Oh, 
That's why the guy was so excited. That's why he kind of got crazy up there. This is why. And when you see him face to face, when you're just minding your own business some Tuesday afternoon, and in a twinkling of an eye, a trumpet sounds, and the next thing you know, you've been caught up to meet the Lord in the air. That is the promise of God. And when that day happens, and you're there, and other people are not, and you see the glory, then you realize how important every little thing was in this Christian life and why pastors had to get all excited, get up into everybody's faces all the time to say, stay on course, stay on course, stay on course. I am praying for you. I am praying for you. And thank you, Marianne, for praying for me (laughs) and all of your prayers. I appreciate that. Father God, now into your hands we commit our spirits. In this world in which we live, you've called us to be light. Lord, there's an onslaught about us. People are falling away left and right from the gospel. Don't let it be us. Let us say, let no one take us captive by smooth-talking arguments to stand strong for you. By your grace, in Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. You have been listening to The Rock Podcast. Our regular services are held on Wednesday nights at 6.30 and Sunday mornings at 8.30 and 10.30 a.m. in Santa Rosa, California. If you would like to learn more, please visit our website at calvertherock.org.